Everything else is spontaneous. And I will ask questions that they don't know coming because they're more feeling questions. They're more of the open-ended feeling, what lessons did you learn and how did you feel when that happened? And, and rarely are they ever asked those questions. And I think those really help bring out the essence of the individual. Welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hello and welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to create a book, an audio, a video, or some other creative project so they can share their life story and their memories with family and friends and with future generations. And today we have Mike O'Krent joining us. Mike is the founder of Life Stories Alive, a business that specializes in personal history legacy videos. And his business came about in a really interesting way. So from 1996 through 2000, Mike interviewed Holocaust survivors for Steven Spielberg's Survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, now known as the USC Shoah Foundation. And it was through that life-changing experience that he discovered the significance and also the techniques of recording life stories of loved ones. And that now forms the basis for his Life Stories Alive. Also, since founding his business in 2006, Mike has expanded it to include recording the histories of businesses and nonprofit organizations. So these professionally produced videos can be used internally as training tools for new employees and volunteers, or they can be used externally to promote the organization. He's also a speaker with a TEDx talk under his belt. So we have so much to talk about. Mike, thank you for coming on to the show and welcome. It is my pleasure. I'm happy, happy to be here. So there's TEDx, there's Steven mm -hmm. Spielberg, and I did a little bit of digging. There's a conversation with Anne Frank's sister, which means that like my brain is going a little bit haywire and I'm not quite sure where to jump in. But um, let's start with... Steven Spielberg and his project. Why don't you tell us how that came about? Because it sounds like it was definitely the genesis of you getting into the life story business. I It definitely influenced what I'm doing today. Um, I'll try to make the long story short. Uh, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and I was volunteering with the Jewish Federation of San Antonio. They have a wonderful Holocaust education program where they go out to kids and in schools and teach the Holocaust, a little short deal. And I would go in for a day and, and teach that. Well, Spielberg is filming Schindler's List in Poland in 1993 or four. Survivors come up and they say that uh, they want to tell their story. And so he, in his genius, realizes that if we don't grab these stories now, they're going to be lost forever. And which is the genesis and the basis for most of your uh, listeners' businesses, I, I, I would think. So he starts the Survivors of the Shoah, which means Holocaust in Hebrew, the Survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, uh, with the goal of interviewing 50,000 survivors worldwide. We interviewed 52,000 in 39 languages all over the 52, world. 52,000 people. Yeah. That yeah. is impressive. It, it was incredible. So when survivor, no survivors were uh, solicited to tell their story. They volunteered and they called into the foundation. Well, as the foundation started to get calls from Central and South Texas, the foundation sent a letter to the Jewish Federation of San Antonio saying, we need 
to train interviewers. If you know of anybody who's interested in being trained, who can fly out to LA at their expense and spend a few days to be trained, which is what I did. And it, it changed my life. What were you doing at that time that you thought, <laughs> yes, I can, I can sit there and interview somebody about a really traumatic period in history and certainly a very traumatic period in their life. <laughs> Amy, people ask me all the time, what, what, did you do to prepare yourself for this business? And I, I spent 20, I'm laughing because I spent 25 years in the retail carpet business, which has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. And, but I had a, a freedom of being able to take a half day off or however long it took to interview somebody. So the Spielberg uh, Shoah Foundation was just a volunteer thing. Um, and, uh, but I was in the carpet business for 25 years and then, uh, moved to Austin when I bought a store here in Austin and sold it in 04 and didn't know what the hell I was going to, excuse me, what the heck I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, went with a business coach who helped me discover how much I loved interviewing people um, and asked me if I could make a business out of doing something like that. And then the light bulb turned on and I thought, well, why not? I have a process that I learned and I can expand upon it. I can bootstrap it out of the house and um, there's a, fortunately in Austin where I'm from or where I live now, there are a plethora of uh, professional videographers and editors, video editors that I work with now that I found. And um, that started it all in 2006, early 2006. And I think that's very interesting that a, a business coach kind of got you started on that path, um, A, because you know, the, it's a common refrain in our business. People don't really know what this is, this mm -hmm. life story stuff. And if they, you know, most people have never heard of it. So um, had you known that that was already kind of an industry, that there would be a market for people wanting to tell their own personal stories and family stories on video? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> I had no idea there was anything like this. I had, I'd read a couple of biographies and I knew some people did it for themselves, but I had no idea that there was a market at all for it, quite frankly. Well, that must've been a very big leap for you then to decide <laughs> that you were going to put yourself out there. That's, that's great. You know, is so many of us think that we've invented it. Um, you know, when, when we come into the business, Oh, I have this really great idea. I'm going to tell somebody's life story for them. Um, you know, I think probably at least half of the people who do this think that they came up with the idea and then they realize, Oh wait, there's a, there's a community out there. We're kind of dispersed and, you know, uh, widespread, but there are others doing this as a career. So, so good for you for having that kind of faith in yourself um, and for taking, um, taking the step to actually go see a business coach um, to help you find that. And I, I don't want to talk about this just yet, but you had mentioned to me that you not that long ago um, hired a, a company, a rebranding company. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that's <coughs> clearly, you know, you wanted to change directions or tweak some things in your business. And I think it's so important to take our businesses seriously and to be able to invest in them, to take that step in investing in them if we want them to grow and if we want to make sure that we're on the track that we want to be on. Um, okay. So, um, Steven Spielberg, you you did that for several years. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like, the learning curve of 
sitting down with somebody who had personal experience with the Holocaust and is telling their survivor story? Yes, much much of the, the training that I got in Los Angeles with Spielberg's organization was wonderful. It was, it was incredible. Most would think, and certainly included in that was the history of the Holocaust. And they had lead historians from all over the world teaching us stuff like that. But the majority of it, wisely so, was on the process of sitting across from somebody and capturing their life stories and the pro and the, the, the rules or the processes to set up that safe place so those stories will pour out because many of them were telling their stories for the first time in 50 years. Oh boy. Um, and so it was important that the steps and the procedures were followed. And uh, yes, yeah, some of those steps are ingenious. And I cover a lot of those steps in the book that you mentioned earlier, the, the book that I wrote, uh, Conversation You'll Never Forget, A Guide to Capturing a Life Story. In, in that book, I, I start with why. I, the first chapter is start with why. Uh, from Simon Sinek's book and wonderful TED Talk, Start With Why, um, you need to find out why they're there. You need to find out why they're doing this. Uh, I have a why that I think I'm doing for my business, but their why is so much more important. And everything else I do around the process of preparing for the life story interview is around their why. So, Can you give us any examples of what that would look like? Of the why? The examples of the why? Yes, or or of uh, figuring out their why, and then how that shapes how you proceed with the interview. Sure, it, it's 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 just simple. I when I first meet with them, I say, "Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you." I, I got to ask you, why did you agree to do this? Because a lot of people don't agree to do this, and they might tell you. And I've interviewed many that are unfortunately terminally ill, and they'll say, "Well, I I want to teach the lessons of." what my illness is teaching me, most of them will say, I want to connect with future generations that are not here. Um, some of them will say my, my wife or my son made me do this. Uh -huh, <laughs> um, right. but, and that's okay. Um, but in, in how you, for instance, if they want to connect to future generations, uh, I will uh, concentrate on connecting with their previous generations. I will spend more time doing research and trying to find out what they know about their grandparents and great grandparents. You just gave me something very valuable. It's not something that has been on my mind when I sit down and start interviews with people who want who have hired me to do a book project for them. I um, I guess I've always assumed that, well, they want to write a book because they cherish mm -hmm. their memories and they want to pass them down. But I think that's uh, I, I think that's probably a really good place to start is asking them why do they want to do it? For one thing, you're going to get an inkling of who their audience might be. Is this really right. a personal project for them because they feel the need to tell their stories? Is it something because, like you said, they have this very strong need to connect with future generations? And maybe it might even be a need to connect with um, somebody that they know, uh, you know, the the grandkids that they're already close to, but maybe they're, uh, the grandchildren are young. And so they're afraid of the grandchildren only having a partial impression of what they were like, you know, years down the road. Absolutely. And going back to your original question, which ties into what you just said, one of the things that Spielberg's organization taught us is conduct a chronologically conducted interview. 
because the older generation, their memory works better when you when you go chronologically. And plus, you'll get their mind back there within the six questions, the first six questions I ask within six questions, they'll forget the cameras there, because their mind will be back thinking and describing the first house they grew up in, and, 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 and stuff like that. But another thing that Spielberg's organization did, and when people know that I, I interviewed Holocaust survivors, they think the entire interview was about the Holocaust. No, 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 no. Spielberg was genius. He, he, he knew that he wanted to paint the picture of what um, Eastern Europe was like before the war. So 20% of our interview roughly was before the war. 20% of the interview was after the war. What is it like to be a survivor? What is it like after the war? And the rest of it, of course, was during the war and, and the, the horrors and the, the things that happened in the Holocaust. So um, chronologically conducted interviews, I found, are just amazing. It gets the, uh, three months ago, I interviewed the sixth 100-year-old-plus uh, person. And the kids will always tell me they'll never last an entire day for an interview. And they always do, because when the interview is conducted chronologically, their mind is juiced and they're ready to go. And they, they're excited to tell the next part of their story. So you learned that partially through the through Steven Spielberg's training program but it's interesting how it also the way you just set it up it it's like the setup of a story so you have mm -hmm. um, you know the reality before the Holocaust and then the Holocaust would be you know the inciting incident and then everything that happened all of the challenges and the horrors that happened after that and then the resolution of coming back after the Holocaust and that's going to show um, just like we do for any life stories it, it's going to help people understand more about um, the the storyteller, what their foundation was, um, what their life was mm -hmm. like, you know, before some of the harder things started happening to them. Um, so, yeah, that I, I like how it mirrors sort of a, a story structure. Absolutely. And can you share any of those six priming questions or, or starting questions? Oh, yeah, it's it's real simple. I mean, um, what is your name? Um, what was your full name at birth? When were you born? That makes you how old today? And so I'm setting them up on the, on the facts that they know are coming. Um, that makes you how old today? Where were you born? Do you remember the, the now in the pre-interview work that I do, I get all this stuff, right? But then I ask them, what was the address of the first house you grew up in? And if they only live there for a short amount of time, I'll go to the second address. But I'll, when I hit the address of the house that they grew up in that they remember most and they spent the most time with, I'll say, describe that house. Describe the house you grew up in. And you'll see their eyes kind of roll back and, and they'll, they'll be inside their head when they're describing that little house that they grew up in. And then I know I've got them. I'm, I, then I know that, that they are there. Their mind is there and they're describing. I'll ask clarifying questions about some of the things that they are, are describing. So the viewer of the video of the life story will really get the picture painted. Um, many of, uh, I, I travel all over the United States to do this, but many of them are from Texas. So if they grew up in a small house in Texas back in the 1920s and the 1930s, I'll say, did you have air conditioning in the house? Now, I know darn well they didn't have air conditioning. They said, no, we didn't have air conditioning. Well, it gets hot in Texas. How'd you stay cool? And then, then you see them light up and they say, oh, we had fans and we had a, a sleeping porch. And they talk about all these things that the common viewer or the the young viewer will have no idea of. And that that sets up the whole thing. It sounds like you go into the interview 
almost knowing what the answers are going to be. Um, mm. And do you ever, uh, I'm assuming that's all part of the, the workup and the pre-interview meeting yes. with the storyteller, right? Yeah. It, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You want to know as much of the facts and much uh, beforehand so you can conduct and arrange a, a, not just a chronologically conducted interview, but a personal interview. Things happen in different periods of people's lives. So you want to make sure you put them in the right order. And in order to do that, you've got to do some really good pre-interview fact-finding work. And they then also know what questions are coming. Because I can yeah. see, you know, very often if I ask for, especially factual information, I've learned to try not to do that during my interviews. Now, my interviews are very different because they're for a book project. So we can be much looser. Um, I, you know, we, we can talk over each other. We can, <laughs> you know, I can follow them down pathways that I didn't know about before. And it's all in service of getting the full story for the book, because I'm going to be shaping that. I'm going to be taking everything that they give me and all of that raw material from the transcript material, and I'm going to be shaping that into their narrative. Um, for you, it's, I'm sure, a little bit more crucial that, well, what I started to say was I, I have learned not to ask them factual information if they're in the process, in the flow of telling a story, because that can put such a break on things. So right. if I say, oh, what was the, you know, like you said, it, not every address was their home, their childhood home, what they associated with. So if I ask for something that was maybe an address that they lived at too short of a period of time, or maybe they were too young, and then it just puts the brakes on things and it gets them out of the flow. Um, so exactly. for you, I can see how that would be really important to not ask them things that they're, you know, that are going to stop them in their tracks. Exactly. The, the, and you started out by saying that they, they, they know some of the questions that are coming and they, they know that the factual questions are coming, but most of the questions I ask, they don't know are coming. I, in fact, I never tell them mm -hmm. any of the questions I want to ask beforehand. I want it to be spontaneous. So while they're on camera, uh, it's, it's the essence of themselves. It's, it's, it's what they really feel. Um, I don't want it to sound rehearsed at all. So I never tell them. The only question I tell them that I'm going to ask is the final question, because some people like to prepare for it. And that's OK. And that is, do you have any closing comments to leave for future generations? But other than that, everything else is spontaneous. And I will ask questions that they don't know coming because they're more feeling questions. They're more of the open-ended feeling. What lessons did you learn and how did you feel when that happened? And, and, and things like that. And rarely are they ever asked those questions. And I think those really help bring out the essence of the individual. In general, in our life, we're not often asked, when we tell a story about something that has happened to us, we're not often asked, what did you learn from that? Or how did you feel about that? And that's really where, you know, this this gig of ours gets really good because that's mm -hmm. when people open up their hearts and that's when insights can happen. And um, yeah, that's when I learn a lot about humanity, I have to say. And Amy, you know, it does go back to that why. If the, their why is to connect future generations that they don't know yet or they'll never meet, uh, part of that why is uh, the lessons learned. I've never met a parent who wants their children to make the same mistakes they've made. 
So uh, it's not when that incident happened, you know, okay, that incident happened, but what, do you, what did you learn from that? What would you do differently? Uh, those kinds of things, and you're asking those questions and you're preparing those questions with the idea of the viewer in mind, their great-grandchildren who aren't around yet, or their great-great-grandchildren who aren't around yet. From previous conversations, it sounds like you offer a couple of different, at least a couple of different types of projects. Can you tell us what those are and um, how long the interviews last? If it's mm-hmm. Is it a whole day-long shoot? Is it more than that? Uh, the interviews last a, a full day. We show up at 8 or 8.30 in the morning. It takes an hour, hour and a half to set up camera and lights and do sound checks and things like that. And then I just sit across from somebody. Now, I'm never on camera. It's all about them. Uh, and with the videographers that I use, it's a two camera shoot. So it's really, really great stuff, but it's, it's all day long. I, uh, we take breaks whenever they want to take breaks. We take a lunch break, but we'll get anywhere from four to six hours of an interview. Oh uh, boy. They, and, and I tell them in the client, either the, they are the client in 20, roughly 20% of my business, but mostly it's their children or grandchildren that have hired me to interview them. And if my client wants me to take it down to a two and a half hour or two hour mo- major motion picture length, we can do that. But in most cases, and I tell them I'll be happy to do that, but it involves taking out stories and you'll need to tell me what stories you want to take out. And of course, they never want that. (laughs) They want the whole thing because a good biography like the ones that you write, Amy, are going to be pretty thick. They're not meant for one sitting. And this viewing of this video is the same. So we clean it up. We make it a documentary style, Ken Burns style type documentary, and uh, we deliver if we have four hours of raw footage, we're going to deliver three hours and 45 minutes probably. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's long. And then do you add B-roll footage? Yeah. Do you add, I'm assuming you add photos. What about if there's home videos and things like that? Absolutely. All of the above. Uh, if we have time and if we can shoot B-roll, we shoot some B-roll. But most of the added stuff that makes it uh, not a talking head are the photos and the documents and the mementos that they've supplied. Plus, uh, because this is private, this is for their audience and their family only, uh, we add things from the internet. We find things on the internet. For instance, if they heard about the Kennedy assassination from watching Walter Cronkite on, um, on on the television, well, then we'll bring in Walter Cronkite. If they heard about Pearl Harbor from a radio broadcast, we'll bring in that radio broadcast. So they'll the, the listener or the viewer will be able to, to hear that. And um, part of the research that I do, if they were in the war, uh, most I find out what unit and what, 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 what company and unit and all that stuff with the military they're a part of. And then you can follow them. You can, his, historically, you can research and follow the path that they took. So I'll ask them about, well, on this particular date, you were in the Battle of the Bulge and you were probably around here. Do you remember? That? Oh, yeah, man, I hadn't thought of that in years, they'll say. So anyway, that's that's part of the deal. Yeah. Well, okay, so when you say that um, because they're, they're privately produced, uh, are you taking material that otherwise, if it were something that were for the public, that it would still be under copyright? Is that what you mean? Yes, Um and uh, if I am going to publish anything like that, we make sure we use free source um, or open source materials. But it, I would get permission and I would I would pay to have certain things in if they had to be in if it were being sold to the public. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think your process is a bit different than mine, um, but it's, it's fun to hear about. And that does it for part one of our interview with Michael Krent. If you'd like to see links to the things that we were talking about, head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 58. And make sure to stay tuned for part two of our interview, where Mike talks about how he got started in his business with a really good contact from the Chamber of Commerce and what that led to. And he talks about his speaking and other things. So stay tuned for that next time on the Life Story Coach podcast. I hope this has helped. Until next time, go out and save someone's story.